Brother Joe needs a muzzle sometimes. <laughs> Good to see all of you here. God bless every one of you. Pray for us. Turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 9. Revelation 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the fifth trumpet sounding. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. A star, in the book of Revelation, is the word for a messenger. It is an emblem, it is a symbol for a messenger. It can either be a good messenger or a bad messenger. It can be a good servant of God, or it can be a false prophet. Here it is obvious that this religious leader, this particular star, this messenger, fell from heaven. It was a fall from heaven unto the earth, and unto him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. What came out of the pit darkened, as it were, the sun, the light. And the Scripture says, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Scorpions. Locusts. Which are they? Actually and literally, they're neither. For we see, and we will see, again, look at verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. They're not literal locusts. They're not after grass. It was commanded that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing nor any tree. But notice this. But only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now move on down with me to verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand. And I heard the number of them. And it's interesting, the last stanza, I heard the number of them. It's astonishing to John. It's like after he hears this number, 200,000, 200 million, it's just like I heard the number and it was astonishing. It's almost unbelievable that this number could be designated for this judgment. And I saw the horses in the vision... And them that sat upon them, having breastplates of fire and of jasoneth, that's a blue color, and brimstone, that's a red color. And the heads of the horses and the head were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, smoke, and brimstone. Out of their mouth comes hell. By these three, the third part of men were killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are likened to serpents and had heads with them they do hurt. 
and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Your soul was not made to worship gold, silver, brass, stone. You were not made to focus upon things of this world. And verse 21 closes, Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. May we pray. We're here before you, living God. We have read your word. Would you be pleased by your spirit to give us some understanding of it now? Would you please speak to us tonight? Would you please cause us to examine whether we have the seal of God in our foreheads? Oh Lord God, we pray tonight that that seal might be graciously given to some that need it here. We pray, Heavenly Father, that You will open Your truth to us and bless us and cause us to be built up and strengthened for these days we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you on the subject, what it takes to be safe when hell is open. If you're familiar at all with the book of Revelation, you know that the book itself centers around three major visions that John was given on the Isle of Patmos. There are three particular unfolding visions that are in themselves an interesting way that God is communicating His truth. These particular visions are, in order, the opening of a seven-sealed book, a seven-sealed scroll, That was handed to, as it were, the Lord Jesus opening the every seal. And out of those seals comes various aspects of God's providential dealings. After the seven seal book, the next major vision is that of the sounding of seven trumpets. There is a seven blast trumpet. Seven trumpets. And then after the seven trumpets are sounding, there is the pouring out of the contents of the seven bowls of wrath. All of these visions tell basically the same historical story, but in greater detail. Every one of these visions is just getting deeper with more analyzation and more insight and more revelation of what God is doing providentially upon the earth. They, in, in general, all of these visions tell an overview of how it will be upon the earth between the first and the second advent of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very important key for you interpreting the book of Revelation. Each vision that John was given closes with a perspective on the very end of the world and the final judgment. In the opening of the seven seals, it is the sixth seal which speaks of, in Revelation 6, 12-17, it is the sixth seal which speaks of the coming of the Lord. And it is a graphic perspective upon the coming of the Lord and the end of the world. The seventh, the seventh seal is the revealing of the seven trumpets and the seven trumpets are contained, as it were, in the seven seals. It's God's way of showing us that what is in the seals will be further amplified and further explained in the seven trumpets. The last trumpet in Revelation 12, the last trump, where do you meet that word again? At the last trump is the, again the final consummation of the age and the coming of the Lord and the end of all things. Then you have in the seventh bowl of wrath, if you please. The seventh bowl of wrath is the utter view of the ruin and devastation of Babylon the Great, which is 
everything that is opposed to God and Christ will be utterly, thoroughly refuted and condemned and destroyed at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, all of these revelations, all of these visions are a God sent for believers, both for our instruction and for information as we live out our days in these dark and dangerous last days. Paul said in 2 Timothy that in the latter days, perilous times should come. Well, brother, we do not need to read that perilous times shall come, folks. Perilous times are here. Now, chapter 9 contains the events related to the sounding of the fifth and sixth trumpet, if you please, before the last trump. And in this particular vision, you have awful consequences that are designated for mankind. Beloved, what we have read in this ninth chapter is nothing funny. There's nothing make-believe or light-hearted about what is before us in this vision. What the Almighty God is allowing out of the pit, if you please, to plague and destroy millions upon millions of the total population of the earth. But it's the honest to God truth and thank the Lord for the vision. You know, beloved, my friends, this world is a wondrous place to live. But my friends, it is an extremely dangerous place to live. And it is becoming more so with each passing hour. And so here... God is going to release, if you please, and allow a plague upon the earth that will literally destroy millions and inflict terror and misery, disrupting life for the living at that particular time, for that particular day, for that particular month, or for that particular hour. And when we see this particular phenomenon, we know what it is. And we know that the day and the hour has come. Now, beloved, as odd and difficult as some of the images are before us, some of the symbolism that may be a little confusing to us, we one thing we can find if we'll search the Scriptures and read diligently, you can always find enough plain language that you can grab a hold of. And here we have in verse 20 and 21, some plain language that is used that even a child can benefit from and, and for its intended application. We know what it is, as it if you please. Men are not to worship demons. They're not to worship idols of gold and silver and brass and stone. We're not to give our allegiance to things, carnal things, earthly things, material things, mammon, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Also, we are not to continue in sin. We're to repent of our sins, whatever those sins are. If it's murder, sorcery, fornication, theft, any degree or any manner of sin is to be repented of. So we know here we can have some plain language. Now let us connect, if you please, the things that we see taking place in world events around us and the spiritual climate of our age and let us see if we can connect the dots and see if they match. What we're going to do tonight is glean and gather these particular observations from our text. Number one, we're going to deal with what is this demon army that is pictured, that is let loose out of the pit upon men. In verses 1 through 3, the fallen star that releases, if you please, this black plague, this plague of locusts and scorpions upon the earth. What phenomena has its origin from hell and is empowered from the devil and works havoc and terror and torment and destruction among men? Is there anything that we can see today that fits the bill? Is there any major, if you please, religion that meets this criteria that is straight out of hell? There certainly is. And we can identify it by its characteristics. So we're going to say, what is this demon army? We're going to look at it. What does the Scripture say? And then we're going to look at this. Why does the Lord sin? 
such an evil, swarming plague upon, them, upon mankind. There's a reason that the Lord has loosed this. And then thirdly, we're going to observe what are the consequences of this foul, evil curse upon the world. And there's amazing, it's almost fantastic to believe, to see what God has told us in His Word. Fourthly, we're going to examine, are there any exceptions to the rule? Who could it be that would be immune to the deceptions of this false plague that is put upon mankind and the destructions they are carrying in their mouths and in their tails? And then finally, we're going to conclude with some exhortations on the vital matter of repentance. Now, folks, let me say this. The seal of God on the forehead is not just something that an angel can see. It is something that you can know if it is pleasant in your life. You can know if you turn from sin. You can know if you quit your worship of material things. You can know if you turn your life to serve and to live for the one true and living God. Now, beloved, what is this demonic locust horde? This army, if you please, this 200 million man army that is let loose. Let's just notice some of the features. First of all, in the fifth trumpet, in verses 1 through 3, let's read. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key out of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and upon them were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. On one hand, we see this particular phenomenon is coming straight out of hell. It is pictured, as it were, of coming out of the abyss, coming out of the realms of the damned, realms of the dead, coming out of hell, if you please. Then, in the sixth trumpet, which, by the way, all of the visions gives us a little more information of the previous vision. And what we have in this in verse 14, you'll notice, on one hand, it is a plague that is coming out of hell, and then it is said to arise from the Middle East, from the region of the Euphrates River, in verse 14, saying to the six angels which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of men. So on one hand, if you please, this phenomenon is said to be straight out of hell, and yet it arises from the Middle East, from the region of the Euphrates. Not, if you please, Palestine, or what we might call the Holy Land of Israel, but it arises from lands north from Arabia and Iraq and Syria and Saudi Arabia, tributaries and places where the Euphrates flows. Now let me ask, what hellish monstrosity of a religion has been birthed in these parts and now holds the Arabs' lands in their deadly vice? I'll tell you, my friend, it is one that seeks death as the highest form of devotion. Because in these days, these that are given to this plague seek death. They seek it because they believe it's the way to immortality and the way into paradise. They seek death. They seek it as the highest form of devotion to their God. But oh, they do not find what they think they will find in death. So here it is, a hellish monstrosity. It is preeminently again on one hand to be said, coming out of hell and then out of the river, out of the region of the Euphrates River. Number two, it is preeminently said to be an army. Can you imagine the descriptive terms? It, not, it doesn't describe it primarily as a congregation or as a group of philosophers or a band of believers. It describes these particular people as an army. You'll notice an army poised for battle, mustered up for the purpose of fighting and killing and destroying. Notice in verse 7, the Scripture says, "...and the shape of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle." And then in verse 9, it is said, 
that they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, dressed for battle. That's the image that is before us. And the sound of their wings was the sound of many chariots, of many horses running to battle. So here it is, battle, running to battle, eager to fight, eager to kill, running to the war, if you please, and the infliction of hurt and death and destruction. Their modus operandi is to fight and to kill and to destroy. That is their purpose in this world. And you'll notice in verse 16, the number of the army is said to be 200,000, 200 million that are equipped for but one mission, and that is world conquest and to destroy all within their power. Beloved, let me ask, is there a religion that is foremost an army? hell-bent on doing harm to men? What sort of belief system would chiefly consist of soldiers, trained military fighters, literally devoted to harming and hurting and killing and destroying? But that is the picture of this plague that is loosed out of the bottomless pit. It is poised for battle and poised for destruction. It is pictured as destroying and devouring men and torturing men. Verse 19, the Scripture says, by these, the third, or verse 18, by these, the third part of men were killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. And then in verse 19, also destroying men with their tails. You see, this deadly army inflicts death in two ways. They inflict it as destroying men, if you please, with their mouth, out of the mouth. And if the mouth doesn't do it, the tail will. The tail being the final end of this curse upon all that it encounters. Beloved, beloved this is what, it is what is set before us. This particular religious plague in this world, as it were, kill men two ways. By the words out of their mouth, which are damnable words, condemning words, which will not lead men to life, but will damn their souls. The words of Islam are nothing but hellish words, devilish words, soul-destroying words. They will not save men's lives. The doctrines of Islam will damn people to hell. It's the smoke and the fire and the brimstone that comes out of the mouth. It plagues people with its doctrines. Which torment. Notice, it torments the people that receive them. Look in verse 5, the emblem. It was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented. That's the effects of this false teaching. It doesn't provide peace and rest and joy and fullness of life. It offers not the abundance of life. It stirs up anxiety and impurities and all manner of corruptions which torment and inflict the minds of those who embrace this doctrine. So the doctrines of demons out of the mouth are destroying men. And then those who will not, if you please, accept the damnable doctrines out of the mouth will meet the tail. They will be slaughtered by the sword. Beloved, that's their doctrine. Those who will not surrender and bow to their religious system shall be annihilated and destroyed. And nothing gives them any greater pleasure than destroying the infidels. They still glory in cutting people's heads off. They've been doing it since the Middle Ages. So one-third of mankind is said to be ruined and destroyed by the means of this fiendish army. They're either killed in verse 18 by its hellish teachings or killed by its merciless, devilish brutality. What a shocking thing to see how these people operate. And I want you to notice Christians, true Christians, think about this. 
True Christians are the duplications of the kind and merciful and loving Lord Jesus Christ. True Christians are full of grace and kindness, love, mercy, gentleness, goodness. But these people who follow this form of nonsense and damnable doctrines are duplications of the devil himself. Look at it, verse 11. And they had a king over them whose, who, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue his name is Apollyon, the destroyer. This fits the description well. The doctrines of hell, the doctrines of demons out of their mouth do not create anything but a monster that is bent on hurting and harming and destroying others. And by the way, folks, let me tell you, you've heard the little proverb, you are what you eat. No, you are what you believe. What you have in your core central Soul as your belief system will permeate through your mind and your flesh and work itself out in your attitude, in your conduct, in your behavior, and in every other form of living. So no wonder. Murderers! Thieves! Robbers! Cursed! If you please. Out of hell. Well... We've come to the second consideration. Why does our good God allow such a monstrous evil on the face of the earth? Do we not believe that God could keep it plugged up? He could have prevented it from ever getting on the loose. Why should the Lord, who is sovereign over all, allow Satan to raise up such a cursed, tormenting, deadly religious plague and release it upon mankind, and deliver huge portions of humanity to believe the lie or to perish by its sword. The clue is found, and it's a difficult answer, but it's found in verse 4 and in verse 20. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And then in verse 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornications, nor their thefts. My friend, the answer to why the Lord permits this curse upon the earth, it is actually a judgment of God upon willful, sinful, malicious indifference and rejection of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the payoff to a world who will not receive the love of the truth that they might be truly saved, but have pleasure in unrighteousness, and who believe the lie. In fact, God will send those with all this undeceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Beloved, God has given this world the greatest gift He possibly could give. He yielded up and sent His only begotten Son with such infallible signs and wonders and miracles and teachings that nobody could deny. Right. This is God. Yes. This is God in the flesh. And what does the nations of the world do with this gift? With the Son of God? Oh, my friends, the Gospel message is the sweetest Tenderest, 
best message ever heard. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Who had ever heard of a message like this? An offended God who had a sinful race willing to sin His beloved Son to make propitiation and to reconcile a fallen world unto Himself. And then to send out the good news. The news that is full of love and hope and mercy. It's the only message of truth there is in the world. It is the only life that it is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that has come that men could have life and have it more abundantly. And so the only hope there is for sinless, wicked humanity is in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither! Neither! There's no such thing as comparative religion and we're all serving the same God and we're all destined to the same heaven. My friend, anyone and everyone that doesn't worship God through Jesus Christ will perish. Christ is the salvation of the world. He is the Savior of mankind. And His life was confirmed and verified by many infallible signs in various times. The voice of God Himself coming down out of heaven saying, This is My beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Now my friend, when God gives people the Word of God, a space and an opportunity for repentance is given. God gives, if you please, terms in the Gospel which men can be saved. That is, to believe, to repent. By the way, this particular region out of which this hellish monstrosity has arisen was one of the first to be evangelized and to sit under the sounds of the truth of God. So why it is, again... Why the Lord allowed this cursed thing upon the earth? You know, it's one thing Americans are horrified at the atrocities committed by Muslim fighters when they see heads cut off and suffering of unimaginable proportions. But they think so little of the enormity of these crimes, spurning and rejecting the truthful gospel that is able to save men so this whole nation ought to be bowing before God and believing in Jesus Christ. Make no apology for it. It's the truth. It's life. And men won't have it. Men don't want it. Ignoring the goodness of God and the abundant blessings, the favorable conditions under which are given by God. You see, men have opportunity and time to repent. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you've been given opportunity and time to repent. And the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So here we have the reasons men continue in their sins. They have rejected the good gospel. They continue to commit more and more of the abominable things that God aids. Idolatry, materialism, immorality, hatred, Killing lawlessness. Can you imagine what the God of heaven thinks about promoting and putting up perversion as normal? Is it any wonder that this plague has been released upon the face of the earth? Islam, with all of its cursed fruits, is not an accident. It's punishment. It's punishment upon those who embrace it. And it's punishment upon those who do not turn from their sins under peaceful, favorable conditions. When you look around at the spiritual conditions of our country, 
in our world. You can say it's not pretty and it's not good, but the terror that has been loosed upon mankind is just and appropriate. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Thirdly, what are the results or the consequences of this released locust horde, this unrestrained evil malice and reckless hate? There are two interesting verses. Verse 15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to slay the third part of men. Then in verse 18, By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. One third of mankind is presented as destroyed either by the doctrines of these devils or by the sword of their tails. More outstanding than this is the remainder of those who were physically spared these terrors What's so amazing is that they are hard and indifferent and unrepentant. Look at verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed. Do you see people turning to God? Do you see people calling for a prayer meeting nationally? Do you say, do you see anybody serious about what our crimes are as a country? No, it's true to form. The Scriptures are so faithful and accurate. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. And they did not repent in verse 21 of their murders, sorceries, fornications, or their thefts. They continue unrepented. This is a profound and accurate analysis of the state of things in the world at our very time. It seems that it's recorded and noted as an expression, can you believe this? Can you believe that people won't turn to God? Can you believe it? Well, how about you, young person? Can you believe it? What's it going to take for you to turn to God? What's going to move you to repentance? After all of this wrath, judgment, terror, torture, destruction of life and property, survivors are not moved to turn to the living God, and sinners are content to continue living in their abominable sins, and iniquity. And it seems to me that God has recorded this as to express how He Himself marvels at the obstinacy and unbelief and undying affinity men have with their sins. Exposure to hell itself does not restrain the insanity toward evil during these days. Not one survivor of these plagues is said to be willing to forsake their sins and turn to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? After one third men were destroyed by these plagues, yet the survivors are said not to repent. Brother, do you catch the drift of what is being told to us here? Beloved, if there's something in general men hate more than a religion straight out of hell, it's one straight out of heaven. That's how wicked men are. That's how sinful. After this brush with hell's ways, no one humbles himself. No one wants to turn to the one true and living God. No one wants to give up their evil lives. No one wants to let go of their idols. They want to continue in sin. This is a sad and pitiful picture of human nature. A visible reality that is going on now even before our eyes. 
as evil and damnable as this demonic religious activity is, men seem to hate the truth even more. The horrible atrocities of the hour, all of the terrible deeds at the door do, does not make men wake up and turn. This particular day, this hour, this day, this moment in time finds men implacable, hardened, rushing on again unto judgment, not sorry at all or repented of their sins. And beloved, when these conditions are like this, when hell has been opened, and conditions are like this, the end is near. After the sixth trump comes the what? Seventh and last trump. The final end. Now, we get to this. Are there any exceptions to the rule? There better be. (laughs) Who, if any, are going to be spared? Who can be saved during these evil days when hell itself is open? And it's an amazing thing. One third of humanity said to be destroyed, and the rest of the men that were not killed continue unrepented. Where are the Christians here? There are hardly not enough to even take notice of. Comparatively, the number of folks who fear God and love God must be few. Hello? Do there be that find it? But not everyone is destined to fall under the illusions of Islam. And by the way, let me say, I'm not just saying that Islam will take you to hell. Just doing nothing will take you to hell. There are lots of religions in the world that are false. There's only one narrow way. Jesus said, Enter in by the narrow gate. For narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads into life and few there are that find it. But broad is the way. Broad is the gate and easy is the way that leads into destruction and many there be. You'll have to get out of Broadway onto the narrow way. What does that mean? It means you are going to have to be so uniquely different from this world that you've got to be willing to part with everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be willing to have Him and give up your life. Lay down your life. I'll say more about that in just a moment as we close. But my friend, here it is. The single remedy in verse 4 that saves one from such destruction is said to be, listen to this, the seal of God in the forehead. Notice that it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing nor any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God. And therefore, and whatever this seal is, you better know, you better find out what it is. <laughs> For you absolutely stand no chance of being kept safe from the evil externals of the world or the internals of your own evil heart without this precious seal. The seal of God in the forehead. Now, what is it? Being a seal it is something that seals and preserves. Blocks out, if you please. It is a seal that is given by God that blocks out, if you please, words, teachings, lies, foolishness, hellish teachings that otherwise would be embraced and followed to their miserable end. A seal. It is the seal of the Holy Spirit. For my friend, you cannot have any discernment of God 
and understanding of the truth until God puts His seal in your heart and gives you the Holy Spirit which gives you an internal understanding of truth and opens up the words of God to your soul. Truth by the Holy Spirit. And then it is said to be in the head indicating that it's a condition that has been wrought upon the mind that causes it to work in a new and different way from the rest of the world. This is a seal that is in the mind. It's a change of mind. It's not an outward physical mark. It's not a tattoo. It's not a word stamped upon the brain. It is not or found on the skin at all. It is speaking of the internal transforming work of the sovereign Spirit of God upon the heart and the mind that seals your soul, forgives your sin, and transforms your way of thinking. This is what the seal of God is for. It's a transformation the basic way you think. It's being transformed. It's having the mind of Christ. It's having your thoughts, your values, your belief, your world system, your world view totally focused in a different direction. It's becoming centered in Christ and His Word. It's a new way of thinking. A completely different way of thinking about everything. It is a new mind created in the image of Christ. And implied directly in this passage in verse 21 and 22, this seal translates into two visible attributes that you can see. And that is you will see people forsake their idols and you will begin to see them to begin their heart devotion to the one true living God. They'll begin to worship the Lord, follow the Lord, serve the living one, serve and delight in following and confessing the one true God of the Bible. That they might know Thee the living God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So it translates into the knowledge of God, and it translates in verse 21 to a separation of life, a separation from sin. And the one who has turned from his sin starts doing right and living for the glory of God, living a holy life, delighting in keeping the commandments of God. So this is not a mark, again, that only angels can see. It is a lifestyle that is marked with goodness and righteousness that the whole world can see. The one who has the seal of the living God has turned from the vanities of this world and begun to focus his attention and his heart devotion upon God and Christ and doing the will of God. And then obeying and keeping his word. Giving up sin. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you continue to like to fornicate. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you continue to like to steal or use the name of the Lord in vain. My friend, you've got and you will forsake your sins. Turn from your iniquity. This seal of the living God guarantees. Look at the benefits it will bring you. It will save you from demonic control and heresies that will kill you. It will save you from vain and useless focus, material gods that are useless and harmful. It will correct and reform your bad behavior that is destroying you. Now let me give you a final exhortation on the vital need in your life of repentance. This is the primary issue on which your eternal destiny depends. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This issue of repentance decides the, decides the issue of which side you're on. You're going to be on the side of the world, false religion, lies, abominations, or you're going to be on the side of God and Christ. Repentance. It's for your own good that God calls upon you to repent. His objective in calling you to repentance is to turn you from lies to the truth, from foolishness to sanity, from false religion to true religion, 
from harmful, destructive deeds to godly living. When God calls upon a person to repent, He's calling upon that individual to do for His own good. To turn. Sin is to your hurt. The way of the transgressor is hard. And it's your hurt and loss that you... In fact, what else matters? This life is going to be over before you realize it. Eternity is beckoning. The end of all things. How many times in the New Testament we read it? The end of all things is at hand. Can you in love with the things that are going to take you down and are taking you down? Sin doesn't produce joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment. It creates disturbance and unrest and chaos and misery. God asks and calls you to turn and to come to His Son. Are you willing to do that? Listen, you may not know a hundred things. You may not know much, but you can know this. If you're willing to let go of your sins and to turn your life to the control of Jesus Christ, you can begin to be a Christian this very night. God could save even you tonight. But He'll not save you as long as you're holding on to them. Your sins. They're taking you down. May we pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You so loved the world that You gave Your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, thank You for Your call. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your willingness to forgive sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.